0: The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are getting ever closer to the end of the regular season. Although they did just extend it. Hey, you know, when you have a good thing going on, um, you know, except for the whole goaltending part of the season, um, you want to keep it going.
1: This is true.
0: Uh,
1: you look we, were t- we were talking about this, you know, before the show. Apparently it was it, it's the Winnipeg and Seattle game from, I want to say, like, a couple, week- couple weeks ago. Wednesday, I think it was. Oh, I thought it was longer than that. But, yeah they moved it to to May 1st so the season scheduled to end on April 29th has been extended by 2 days and I wasn't even aware why what the reason was they didn't make a very big deal about why this game was postponed canceled uh, or whatever but you said that it was a blizzard yep in April
0: one of the worst uh, according to the Seattle Times one of the worst uh, winter storms in decades. And this is again Manitoba. The worst storm in decades um, was bearing down on Manitoba on Tuesday. So that game will be played at 11 p.m. Pacific uh, on May 1st, um, two days after the Kraken season was supposed to end at home against San Jose.
1: Well, I hope they don't uh, all. I hope they don't all like pack up and send their stuff and then go. Oh wait, we got one more. <laughs>
0: mm, doubtful. Um, the league's biggest concern apparently was the ability of both the teams to make it out of Winnipeg for their ske- to continue their schedules. The Jets had a game Friday in Florida, um, and I forget where Seattle was next supposed to play. But when you're talking about a big, the biggest storm in decades that far north. Uh, you're you're saying impressive things.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, um, it sounds like it. It was a good decision to move it. I like I said, I, they didn't make a very big, uh, they didn't make very big scratch about it. I I only knew about it because I was setting my fantasy lineup, and one of my defensemen was uh, uh, had a PPD next to it, and obviously with what we've had in the past, I was oh, you got to be kidding me. We're back to postponing games for that. So I was glad to hear that it
0: wasn't. <laughs> Yay. Um, <clears throat> we've got so, a lot yeah. of other stuff to talk about. Where do you want to go?
1: Oh, there's stuff everywhere. We're going to have to save the the big one for, like, the middle of the show, I'm guessing, because that that's going to be fun. Yeah, funny.
0: otherwise it's going to eat the whole show. You think? You think? <laughs> Why don't we just start and get the bad taste, actually, why don't we start with uh, shall we celebrate? Jer-
1: I was gonna say shall we celebrate Jerry York because this guy is a fixture, a I don't know I, if BC doesn't have a trophy a trophy. have a statue of this guy already outside the the hockey rink, there should be one. <laughs> maybe not just BC because he's done. He's been he's been in college hockey for fifty
0: years. Yeah, fifty years.
1: Uh, I mean, I mean, yes, the last half of that, a uh, little more than twenty eight years, he's been with Boston College. But fifty years in the college hockey game, schooling up youngsters, getting them ready for transition into not just NHL but regular life. I, this is a guy who should be celebrated and for him to go out with as little fanfare as he did, I, it, it just speaks to Jerry York cause he didn't want big send off. Didn't want parades and all of this. It, I
0: mean, wow. he had, <clears throat> I think he had the big year. Um, in the year that he got, uh, put into the hall of fame in 19, just before, uh, before the start of COVID. I mean, five-time Hockey East Coach of the Year, uh, CCHA Coach of the Year, um, Spencer Spencer Penrose Division I Coach of the Year Award, nine Beanpot Championships, nine Hockey East Championships, 11 regular season Hockey East Championships, a a CCHA Tournament Championship, four CCHA regular season champions, ECAC regular season champion, um, and then one, two, three, four, five NCAA championships. His coaching record alone, just the numbers are mind boggling. Forget having a win percentage that high over that long. So you're saying he's like,
1: you know, a little bit better than an average coach?
0: He had 1,123 wins in the regular season in his career. That's more games than most long term coaches who will go into the Hockey Hall of Fame will coach. And he had that many wins.
1: And oh, by the way, he's a local boy. And not only is a local born, boy, born uh, he's in Watertown. A legal. Yeah, born in Watertown, went to Boston College High School, went to BC, and then got his master's at BC.
0: Yeah, and then spent a great deal of time coaching there. Uh, There's really not anything else you can say. Uh, I I think
1: the record speaks for itself.
0: (laughs) If there is a hockey coach who has done more uh, at the college level, don't know who it is.
1: Uh, He already retired. If there's anybody that even comes close, and that would be uh, Jack Parker.
0: Um, there are a couple. There are one or two guys who have a higher winning percentage, but as far as wins, the next the next closest guy in wins, um, actually both of them actually coached at at um, Bowling Green. Really? Yes. Um, Ron man, Ron Mason. Okay. Uh, he had 924 wins. Uh, he coached for 36 seasons. Uh, Jack Parker did have a slightly higher uh, higher uh, win percentage. Uh, uh, yeah, he had 894 wins to York's 1123. Um, Red Berenson is a name that if you've been <sighs> around hockey long enough, you would have heard. He was out at Michigan for years. Yes, he was. 33 years, all at Michigan, 84 to 2017. Uh, 848 wins, 654 win percentage. Um,
1: yeah, he was the other name that I was going to mention because
0: if I had to pick three
1: college coaches and I granted, I don't know an overabundance of college hockey coaches, but we know a lot of the good ones that are here because of the hockey hotbed that new England is for college hockey. But if I had to pick three names, it would be Jerry York, Jack Parker, Red Berenson. They'd I mean, they be, did it forever. They'd, like, be on, they'd be on my Mount Rushmore of college hockey coaches.
0: To, and the thing is, is when you look at, when you look at those guys, York, Parker, Berenson. I think what gets
1: to me is the time that they spent at one university or
0: college. Jack oh, no, for Parker. me, it's, it's the completely different eras of hockey that you're talking about. I mean, even college hockey today is not the college hockey that you would see in 1998. True. It's not the college hockey you would have seen in 1984. And it's pretty sure not the college hockey you would have seen in, like, 1974. And think of the impact that Jerry
1: York, Jack Parker, Red Barons, think of the impact that these guys have had through their coaching, the impact that they've had on the NHL. On the NHL? The guys, the the, the players that these guys have coached and – set loose in the NHL what they've managed to accomplish, what they've... You've got guys uh, you, even, re, even more recently. I mean, look at look at Mark McLaughlin, the, the the young kid that the Bruins just signed. He's played what, four, maybe five games with the Bruins? Already got three goals. You look at guys like Goudreau, who's gone in the NHL. You look at guys like Grizzlick whose local boy went to BU. You, you go back to Michigan and Okay, yes, Red retired in 2017, but they carry on his traditions in that school. And the kids that are graduating now are kids that were recruited by Red. So you look at the Matty Benyers, the Owen Powers, the impact that these guys are having and have had in the past on the NHL level is just phenomenal.
0: I mean these are some of these guys have coached the kids of players that they coached and possibly even the grandkids of players that they coached 40 years for Jack Parker 50 years for Jerry York uh that's that's a long time a lot of influence and I mean you even you look at um Another New England area coach, uh, Dick uh, Umilly, uh, who was at UNH for 1990 to 2018, um, 603 win percentage or points percentage. And that's, that's huge. Uh, the the influence of New England hockey and the stability of New England hockey's uh, coaches and the best coaches in hockey there's always this sort of up and out mentality um, among in the corporate world where oh you need to keep going to a higher level. And I remember hearing what 10-15 years ago that Jerry York should make the jump to the NHL while he can and Jack Parker same. should make the jump to the yeah. NHL while they can't. That's what I was just about to say. They were happy, they were good at their jobs, they were certainly fairly compensated. And it's better for the sport, not to mention the students' lives, to have someone who's good at what they do, at every and happy at each level. To
1: love what you're doing as much as these guys had to have done to stay in their positions for as long as they were. I mean that that's. Yeah. Commendable isn't the right word, but it, it, it's the word that
0: comes. It's absolutely me. remarkable. And I mean, I've done a bunch of different things for work. I don't know that I could do anything for 20 years. Anything. I, th-
1: I think one of my other favorite things about this is the fact that York went, Triple Eagle went to BC, BC High, BC. Red Baronson coached at Michigan, where'd he play? Oh, he went to school at Michigan. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It, they went back to their alma maters and paid it back in terms of national championships, bringing in the right the the, the, the students that are going to improve the university and, and yes, the hockey program as well. But yeah. These are guys that did it right, and Jerry York has got to be at the pinnacle with 50 years and 28 of them at BC. Uh, it, are they interchangeable? Maybe, but I, I think Jerry might be just slightly a step above with what he's done and what he's accomplished.
0: You know, <clears throat> and this, the the scary thing is, is we might actually see someone catch him or at least come close in terms of years – in coaching because Scott, Scott Sandalin out at uh, Minnesota Duluth mm-hmm. just cracked the 400 win uh, total this year he's only 57 he's got a 545 win percentage today and he's coached all of his 23 years at Minnesota Duluth
1: Um, sounds like it's a possibility then
0: and he is, of course, uh, in 2011 he was there, the first coach to lead them to a national title. Um, 2018 second national title. So it's not like he's uh, just coasting out there, because that is not. Uh, NCHC is in no way a soft conference. Um, after, along with Hockey East, it's it's almost certainly the toughest in 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 sport in in co- in college hockey. You've got Colorado College, University of Denver, Miami University, uh, Minnesota Duluth, Nebraska, um, North Dakota, Cloud State, Western Michigan. There might be one other division. There's one other division um, that has Michigan and Michigan State, I believe in it. Yep. Um, And I forget the name of the division at the moment, but that one, this one, Hockey East, they're all right there and it it really depends on the year. <laughs> well, the only thing about Scott Sandlin
1: is that coaches at Minnesota Duluth but he didn't go there, but he did stay, he did stay in his co- in his co- hockey conference because he went to North Dakota. He was a finalist for the Hobie Baker Award. But looking at his numbers at Minnesota Duluth, um this guy yeah. is going
0: to the Hockey Hall of Fame.
1: This guy this guy is on an upward trajectory, I would think.
0: He's already got two national championships in less than uh in, in the first all in, programs in history
1: in back-to-back years, too. And the, and the season before the two championships, he was still in the final.
0: Yeah, he's
1: just happened to just unfortunately happened to lose the final but then decided, you know what? We can top that. Won the championship and then went, you know what? We can top
0: that. Won it again. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the, before we wrap uh, up on college hockey and Jerry York and the amazing contributions that we could in no way detail just in one show. Think of the differences in college students and their expectations and what is expected of a student athlete over the last 30 years, forget 50, 30 years. I mean, college students in 1995 or so were basically expected to show up for their, uh, for their, you know, basic art classes and the same English class they took in seventh grade. Uh, And otherwise, you know, not get arrested too many times. Now you have you guys, you guys have you have guys who are competing as academic in academic tournaments as well as their sports. And that's just a monumental change in the way things have been done. The variety of places that college students are coming from, both economically within this within the u s and internationally uh, and internationally is is enormous and for these guys who have been around forever to ride the curve of that of that change, that's more than a little impressive
1: uh yeah i i don't know if i even i difficulty coming up with the right words for it impressive is gonna have to do just because i can't come up with a better superlative not off the top of my head but congratulations to jerry york um much success in whatever it is you do next. I don't know if he's staying on with BC. I haven't seen anything that says what he's actually planning on doing or if he's just going to kick back with... Uh,
0: he's 67, isn't that? No, 76.
1: So kick back with the fam sounds like a good play.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I... Just congratulations to him. He'll turn 77... Uh, This July, uh, if you see him around town and you're a hockey fan, you probably owe him a drink, whether it's coffee or something a little bit stronger. Thank you, Jerry.
1: Absolutely. Thank
0: you. Okay, let's get the uh, let's go from the good but bittersweet to the uh, kill it with fire.
1: (laughs) Can we light it on fire, please?
0: Uh, I can think of something uh, I would like to light up on fire. <clears throat> um, this week, the players' reps got uh, were voting on whether to release the findings from uh, still more of the Kyle Beach situation. Um, in summary, for those who have blissfully forgotten, Kyle Beach uh, sexually assaulted a one or more players. No, he was, he was,
1: he was the assaulted. It was Uh, Aldrich. Aldrich did the assaulting
0: Brad Aldrich. I'm sorry. Uh, Brad Aldrich, uh, did assaulted Kyle beach and one other player who has, whose name is not surfaced to my knowledge. And I would rather he keep his anonymity if it's, if it exists. um, the players' uh, representatives were voting on whether to publicly disclose the results of the investigation, according to TSN's uh, Rick Westhead. Um, voting was open until Thursday. Uh, the NHLPA executive board was provided with the independent report last Friday. Um, Beach reported his assault during the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, the team disclosed uh, there's a whole lot going on that really I don't want to rehash because it just irritates me to no end Um, the vote is whether to disclose the results of their internal investigation this is not an investigation involved with and and that was my first question it was
1: why do they? Why do they get to vote on this? You know why? Why are they not just releasing the results? And as you correctly informed me, it is an internal investigation. It's not like it's an official um, police or or some way uh, legal investigation that it, the results would be automatically released in some way. So I. I didn't get that, but thank you for letting me know because it makes more sense if they're voting for it. I think – and it says here that some of the players actually voted to release the information anyway. I think that in the interest of disclosure and with all of that's going on, I think they're better off releasing the information, the results that they came up with.
0: It's going to come out anyways. Uh, Just release it. If it's leaked, it looks worse. Get ahead of it.
1: Don't let it um, don't let it leak out. Then it seems like you're hiding something.
0: And I mean, what they're hiding is that. I mean, according to Don Fair's own words, he uh, to quote the article, he, he Fair has admitted that he uh, that he failed beach, um, although the quote in the article. Uh, by Fair is, Kyle Beach has been through a horrific experience and has shown true courage in telling his story. Uh, there is no doubt that the system failed to support him in his time of need, and we are part of that system. Um, Don Fair is, of course, uh, the head of the NHLPA. Um, had had Fair and Shaw Um contacted USA hockey about Eldridge. The sixteen year old who was later sexually assaulted by Brad Eldridge, uh, probably would not have been in that position. I have not heard anything more about that young man, and I hope that whatever that he's gotten better counsel or better counseling than a lot of victims. Um but that's and then-
1: Beach uh, Beach has called for the NHLPA to fire Donald Fair.
0: You know, uh, when you when you fail that badly on a serious issue, a very serious issue that leads to repercussions for children, you deserve firing at minimum.
1: Yes. I, can't, I, I I don't know how to agree more emphatically than to say yes. Uh, I also wonder if – I don't think that it's possible, but, I mean, could there be some sort of civil litigation? I don't think there's going to be any uh, criminal repercussions for Don Fear. It's not like they're going to turn around and say you're, you're, you're an – uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for after the fact uh, associated uh, after
0: or I mean a after the fact and I don't know how it would stand up. Arguably, you could make the case that his negligence in not reporting
1: negligence, that's another one, yep.
0: directly led to uh, Brad Aldridge being hired again and put in a position where he was alone with children. There's – I'm not sure where how that's going to stand up but or how that would stand up or be defined legally, but that argument is certainly there.
1: Ultimately, this is – this has been and continues to be a black eye for the NHL.
0: This is a one of the that- dumbest, worst, and most – Ridiculous things I've seen um, that we just all should know better uh, on in the NHL in in a couple of decades
1: for a league that wants to be considered second. I I don't know if you'll ever take first away from the NFL. They just the 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 money machine that is the NFL is going to sit at the top spot because they networks and this and that. But for the NHL to get out of the quote unquote basement and be the second most popular sport in the in 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 America, this is the type of stuff that is killing them. Yes, they need to they need to fix this and start putting the goodwill and start putting the goodwill together. You 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 have done some of it. You've got yourself back on the four letter network, which has got more reach than than, than any sports sport. the, Yeah,
0: there's no way to get bigger reach than the than than ESPN in North America. It's just not possible.
1: But you've got to get stuff like this. It, it, be be transparent. Be open. Be honest. Get it out there. Get past it. I, I know it's heart. not the phrase that Kyle that I would use that I want to say to somebody like a Kyle Beach because Kyle Beach can never get past it, and I understand that. But they somehow have to move forward, and right now they're dragging their feet in the mud.
0: They need to kill the okay. issue and act decisively. That's it. You need to act decisively and make it very clear that you're not going to tolerate this anymore as a league and as 32 teams. And until that happens, this is going to be a story. And that's why I story. think
1: transparency is the answer and not let's have a vote and decide whether we're going to re- just release it. Get it out there. Let everybody have their way with it. Take your lickings. You know, and, and when you were a kid, mom, you know, you, you misbehave, just own up, take your lickings, get past it. Cause the harder you try to cover it up, hide it, lie about it, whatever, you know, that when mom and dad found out it was going to be harder right now, mom and dad is the American public or, and the NHL fans themselves. Just get it out there, take your lickings, be strong, decisive, and move forward.
0: And I mean, realistically, all you have to do as far as covering yourself against this stuff in the future is do what every other company in the, in North, in the U S does already due diligence. If you're going to, if you're going to have people in a position of trust, you run a background check on them. It's not hard. If they're going to be exposed to children, you run a quarry check. It's not hard. Like, nonprofits manage to do this. How can multi-billion dollar industries not say, look, yeah, we're going to run <clears throat> multi-billion dollar industries that have pretty small footprints as far as headcount? Because, you know, there's maybe a thousand players that play in the league each year. I'm not even sure that the NHL and the uh, that the NHL has that many has even half that many employees who actually come in contact with players. Mm -hmm. You talk about um, we'll call it four actual four or five actual coaches per team. Um, The trainers, there's probably four or five of those. Um, So you're talking about the League and the teams having to find the money to run background checks on we'll call it as many as twelve twelve people because you probably have a doctor um,
1: yeah, you have a, you have team. A team you have a team position usually yeah
0: team position or you know a, a position that you use at a local hospital um we'll call it we'll call it fifteen people that you're running background checks on annually. You're telling me. A multi billion dollar enterprise can't run that, can't find a way to pay for that, can't find someone to execute that.
1: Last two companies I worked for found a way to run Corey checks on me.
0: I've been a volunteer for non-pro- youth nonprofits and they managed to run a background check on me every year. Yeah, um, I
1: worked for the nonprofit out in central Mass and they. They ran they ran background checks, Corey checks, and they wanted to make sure that there was nothing funny going on.
0: Sure. And, you know, if you're going to have I mean, some of your coaches like here in Boston, you know, some of the coaches do uh, do do team sponsored coaching summits and clinics for kids. Those people should have a Corey run on them at least every six months. And the background check should be like 20 or 25 years. I don't care if the coach is 20, the, the background check should be 20 years. It, it just all I want is for this not to happen anymore for the league and the players association and the 32 owner ownership groups to say we're not allowing this. We're not allowing it. And when it happens, we're going to, we're going to hit them like a runaway planet that's it it's not that complicated nope (sighs) okay how about a little john
1: carlson love Uh, we could use a little love right about now after that
0: john carlson 14th defenseman in nhl history with three seasons with at least 15 goals and 50 assists This is from Caps PR on the fifteenth. That's a short list. Um, That's a very short list.
1: Well, yeah, NHL history goes back seventy-five years.
0: Uh, No, closer to a hundred.
1: Okay, but the list is only fourteen players long. Fourteen players? Yes. Yeah, that's a short. Yeah, that that would that would be considered a short list. Yes.
0: I mean, that's less than one player like every I don't know what twelve years. Uh that's absolutely ridiculous. And as I pointed out more than once, John Carlson is generally speaking the best defenseman. No one's no one's talking about.
1: He's the best. Yes, I know he's, he's
0: won he's, a Selkie. Yes, I know he's he's wait, won, he wait, finally won a cop. Wait, wait, a defenseman won a Selkie? Not a Selkie, a Norse. I was going to say, wow,
1: he, he crossed barriers. That's excellent. He managed to get an offensive player's award for a defenseman for being the best defensive forward on the – okay. Mm-hmm. I think you've got Selkie on the brain because that's one of our bigger stories later.
0: Yes, yes, it is. And at 32 years old, he's Mr. got another couple of years on the clock.
1: Yeah, John's he's no he's nowhere near done. I mean, you watch him play; he does not. To me, he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Not not yet. He, I mean, and I'm not talking just about speed or anything. He's never been a blazer, speed wise. But I'm talking about. In terms of conditioning, his playing ability—he's he, still out there in key moments. He's still Mister Reliable on on the blue line for for the Washington Capitals. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yes, he's won a he's won a Norris, so the NHL can say that they've actually, acknowledged
0: maybe. how I great it. I don't actually see the Norris in his list of trophies. I thought he won one. I could have sworn he won one.
1: on. Pulling it up now. Uh, nope. The closest he's come was <clears throat> the closest he's come was two years ago. Was a finalist, okay. 1920, he, he finished second in the Norris voting. Ugh, tragedy. Uh year before that, he finished fourth. In 2017-18, he finished fifth. Last season, 2021, he finished 12th in the voting. So, yeah, he's the uh, – I apologize. I thought – I could have sworn he won one. He is literally the the best defenseman in the NHL that nobody talks about.
0: That's That hurts the brain. I mean this is as I, – I, I also
1: feel that way about Shea Weber, but you know me and my –
0: was that was my the next thing I was going to say like this is as big as Shea Weber not having won one and you know I'm certainly of the opinion that Zdeno Char should have won at least one of the two that uh, one of Nick Backstrom's last uh, Lindstrom's last two um, and you could probably have given Shea Weber the other one um, and we'll not talk about the guy in San Jose who used to play in Minnesota and we'll also, you know,
1: the guy in San Jose who used to play in Minnesota. Oh, not the bearded one.
0: Or the snake guy, yeah, that one. No. As I said, what, about what, I the, what about,
1: about what about the other one in in San Jose? that used to play in Ottawa.
0: Um, he should not have gotten the first one. I, I can live with the second one because he was by that point. At least useful in his own. I mean, th- I was going to say the thing with, and the thing
1: with Carlson was that he did improve his defense
0: noticeably and enormously. When, when I watch
1: Brent Burns play the position of defense or attempt to, when I listen to commentators, they rave about it, and I'm just trying to figure out what game they're watching because I'm not seeing it. I see Maybe the offensive it's to their contracts. I see the offensive abilities and I'm not going to to deny that he has offensive abilities. What I don't see is what's required of the position that he's listed as playing.
0: You mean a consistent effective effort in the defensive zone and or neutral zone to, in the uh, effort to prevent goals. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in assuming that that's what I should be seeing? No, you're totally wrong.
1: I I just I don't understand it. I don't understand the love affair. Yes, he's scored a lot of goals, and and that's fabulous. It it it's nice to know that your back end, that your blue line. Can put pucks in the net. It, it, every little bit helps. But uh, and for John Carlson to not have one, it, yeah, to me it's the same as Shea Weber not have Shea Weber has finished twice. Twice he's finished in the voting in in, 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 in second place or second in the voting. Uh, he's got a couple of thirds, a couple of four, how Shea Weber has never won one. Beyond me, I I understand that. Somebody out there was better than him every year. I mean, he lost to Eric Carlson.
0: Yeah, that's the one that that year we're not going to talk about. Um, (laughs) Speaking of not understanding things,
1: by the way, third was the Dana O'Chara that year.
0: Speaking of not understanding things (laughs) and awards that should have been given. Uh Uh-huh. We're back to the big story. Oh, okay. Fun, fun. I found Now that. earlier this season we talked we had a discussion with some really really chewy stats from uh I think it was J Fresh or J Fresh Hockey um mm-hmm. about the person who should be winning this year's Selkie award
1: Yeah I I got another one from the Athletic
0: Yes, we have one from The Athletic on Patrice Bergeron and why he should be winning, and it's so ridiculous, so (laughs) cut and dry, it's literally not – for many of our notes here on the show, for those of you looking for inside our heads, it's normally just – a player or coach or personality's name, or maybe the team, and then a link to it. We don't have extensive notes. Our show is not scripted. Um, not by any, not by any degree. No. By any. And above the link to this story, I I simply have. Go ahead and read it.
1: Oh, oh! You mean the little dis the, the little description about the article? It yeah. says award the Selkie to Bergeron, you twits.
0: Bap. <laughs> That's that's all the notes I have. And well, if generally read, speaking, I don't tell people how to do their jobs. <laughs> and in this case, I haven't. I really haven't. Why? Well, because sh- Shana, Shana Goldman, Goldman has. <laughs> Shana Goldman took a great deal of time and effort for, in this arth- athletic article. She did get some help. To go, sh- she did get some help. She She got some help from several people. Oh, yeah. Um, There's the traditional definitions of what makes a good defensive player. There's the advanced stats definition of what makes a good defensive player. And then there's the opinion of pretty much everyone in the league. And they just about all start their lists with the same name. (laughs) Which name would that be? Patrice Bergeron.
1: Oh, okay, not Ryan O'Reilly.
0: And one of the stats, which uh, is impacted, which is a comparison to Ryan O'Reilly. Now, Ryan O'Reilly is a guy who I really, really like. Really, really
1: there's like. Not there's not much to not like. I was kind of hoping he'd be a Bruin at some at some point,
0: but the can you really have the two of them though in this particular stat? <sighs> is bonkers. Yeah. This is the five-on-five five defense stat via HockeyViz. Um, with Bergeron... Uh, so, actually, we'll start with Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, with Ryan O'Reilly on the ice, he's played 934 minutes as of the time this uh, stat was compiled. Um, expected goals against per 60 was 2.43, which was 5% below league average. <clears throat> In m- If you ask me to replace Patrice Bergeron with any other forward in the league, 85% of the time I probably am saying Ryan O'Reilly.
1: Yeah.
0: And and again, that's expected goals against per 60, 243, 5% below league average. Yes. Patrice Bergeron, same, same stats, 804 minutes, expected goals against... 1.57, which all by itself is sort of Looney Tunes for guys who play against the top forwards in the league. Now, just keep in mind that, well, that with the two of them in different conferences, it's very slightly different. Uh, You know, Bergeron has Stamkos and Crosby and Malkin and Ovechkin. Ah, uh, you've got Aho, you've got, uh, you've got a couple of others who are up there in scoring. For Ryan O'Reilly, you've got McKinnon, <clears throat> McDavid, Dry um, oh God, you've got Kane and Kane and others who are heavy in it. So you've got some very different players that the two of them are going up against. What's Patrice Bergeron's expected differential uh, in goals against per? 60, 39% below (laughs) league average. Yeah. 39% below league average. Yeah. Expected goal
1: limitation, 39% stronger than the league average. His isolated impact limits expected goals by 9% more than the average player would in his minutes when accounting for zone starts, competition phase, coaching impact. Uh, I love this line. That's not only excellent, but something he's been consistently stellar in and part of the reason he's finished top five in voting every single year since 2009.
0: Wait a minute. Read that part again.
1: The, The last sentence. Yes. That's not only excellent, but something he's been consistently stellar in and part of the reason he's finished top five in voting every single year since 2009-10.
0: Over a decade. Yes. And he's still only got four, partly because of so-called voter fatigue. I get the feeling that's part of it, yeah. Were there years that he wasn't the best forward, defensive forward? Yeah, I'll argue that during last season... He wasn't this good the season before. Not this good the season before COVID. Yeah, he he was pretty much this good. But if he doesn't get it this year, literally everyone who doesn't have him in his top three have him in their top three should lose their voting rights. And I genuinely 150% mean that. I'm not saying it as a quote. So lose look, the voting rights. Period. Can can I? I want to add. Oh, keep one. going
1: my favorite parts here <clears throat> because as it's as, as shana puts it the selkie should be awarded to quote unquote someone who shuts down the other guys but still contributes offensively that's a quote from marcus felino so <clears throat> the bruins center is once again the prime example here seeing as his team generates over 66 percent of the shots while he's deployed and 69.6% of the expected goal share when factoring in quality. That's not just the best of this pool of players, but leads the entire league at five-on-five. I think there's a mic drop here somewhere, but, you know.
0: Literally (laughs) just ridiculous. Now I mentioned the traditional uh, Selkie model or or rather the traditional stats. It it's 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 a who's who of guys that I really respect as hockey players and as two-way centers. Sebastian Ajo is at the bottom of the list. Joel Ericksonak, um who was a finalist, might have won it last year. Jordan Stahl, who has been for even longer than Patrice Bergeron, a very, very good two-way center. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit surprised to see Austin Matthews on the list. Um, I think that his defensive contributions are not as noticeable as Bergeron's, but I have seen them. He honestly reminds me more of what Year 7 or year eight or year nine, Eric Carlson did defensively. Um, and I've talked about that in past shows. And if anyone wants a breakdown on that, I can go into it in the future. Just leave us a comment. Um, his defensive contributions remind me of that. Vincent Trocek, who I was hoping the Bruins would pick up at the deadline. Mika Zbinejad, uh Okay. Um, I don't hate him, but I, I wouldn't put him at five on this list. Barkov, who was a recent winner, at four. Elias Lindholm, Ryan O'Reilly, and Patrice Bergeron at the top. Um, those are all the traditional metrics. Um, scoring is somewhat influential, but uh, you're talking about stuff like block shots and um, face-offs one and things like that. When you get to the new when you get to the newer stats, the advanced stats, a couple of the guys on this list aren't even centers and I love it, but the drop off between, well, the list starts with hold on Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. And then Michael Backlund is actually number three. Yeah. With, a non-center at number two, Brad Marchand. I was going to say, he skip, skipped over number two. <laughs> but the two of us have talked about how good Brad Marchand is, not just when he plays with Bergeron, but in general. Oh, the, yeah. number, the numbers that you should really, really find this article for are uh, 64 games for Bergeron, 2.26.11 defensive plays per 60, uh, for Patrice Bergeron. Skipping Brad Marchand because they're on the same team. You go down to Backlund, 16.12. So almost 10 defensive plays per game, which is a bigger gap than exists between number three and number 10, which is number 10 is Valerina uh by the way and someone I'm obviously going to have to pay a little bit more attention to the next time I talk, I see an Avs game, because I've seen him play. I have not ha- ever built a really strong impression. Um, but Marcus Foligno is also on this list. Um, Elias Lindholm, uh, Ryan O'Reilly is actually only ninth on the list, um, and I think that's part of the differences. Ryan O'Reilly is really effective at defense, but partly because of the system he plays. Partly because some of the other players he's playing with, um, I, mean, I don't it, think he thinks about defense the same way that Bergeron and Marchand do.
1: I mean, the two names, the two names on this list that I'm going to have to pay more attention to, and you mentioned one of them was uh, Valerie Yurchenko at ten. The other one on this list, I was not aware of just how much. Cooper relies on this guy in defensive situations, but Anthony Sorelli at number five, the other Anthony names, Cirelli the other names is, I recognize as defensive stalwarts or very good defensive play. You know, the Ryan O'Reilly's Jordan Stiles, Lynn Holmes, Paulino's, but Anthony Sorelli at number five was a, a surprise to me. I did not think that he was that high on the list.
0: I find need- it. Surprising overall that his stats come up that high because you just think of of, of the Tampa Bay Lightning as an offensive juggernaut, yes, backed by a good d- defensive core. But overall, when I actually think about the games and the shifts that I've seen him play, he's got to be an obnoxiously frustrating player to play against because not only is he good defensively, he's a little bit of a pest. <sighs>
1: He's not a he's not a Marshawn sized past, but then I don't Uh, mean that like physical stature. I mean Marshawn. No, no, no. He's bigger than the image of past. The first player that comes to mind, or the first two players that come to mind, are typically Marshawn and Gallagher.
0: Um, he's he's irritating. To play against. I mean, you see. I mean, he's taken a good number of penalties this this year, and what is modern age? Good number of penalties at 66 in um, in 70 games. Um,
1: They they've got a one game example here, and this was actually brought up. Uh, I mean, this this concept was actually. Brought up uh, talking to Ryan O'Reilly. Go ahead. Um, says uh, I think prime example is who we're playing tonight. Uh, this was this was Bruins against the Blues.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: O'Reilly said of their Tuesday matchup, he's a guy that's the image of it, the Selkie. You watch him play over the course of the season, still having great offensive production, but being so sound defensively, playing against top lines and not giving up a lot. O'Reilly's right in pinpointing that Bergeron is the perfect example. And he said, take the Bruins 5-on-5 matchup with the Lightning the previous Friday. In six minutes and 37 seconds of 5-on-5 ice time, Bergeron went up against Braden Point. I think we can all agree that Braden Point is a pretty strong offensive player. Oh, yeah. So Bergeron went up against Braden Point. Six minutes, 37 seconds, 5-on-5 ice time. Boston went 10-2 to two in shot attempts, generating about 85% of the expected goal share. That's shutting down one of the top pivots in the league in a division tilt.
0: Yep. 10-2. Uh, to Brayden Point is, if there's a center that no one's talking about but everyone should, it's Braden Point. I, I mean, he be- gets more attention than I think John Carlson does, but not a lot. Um, he's just really fun to watch if you like hockey.
1: Yes. But to get shut down. That. uh, Definitively, I'm, I'm searching for words here. Emphatically,
0: definitively,
1: either one. Yep. To get shut down. 85% of the expected goals share. The shutdown, I I basically have to go to the the end of this thing and read, with with these criteria in mind, it's hard to see how this isn't a slam dunk for Bergeron. The pivot is no stranger to Selkie votes, and in some years, reputation does weigh heavier on that consideration. This year, he's legitimately that high in the ranking, whether it's based on defense or two-way play. And that'll work in his favor when voting takes place.
0: And the thing is, is like in le- uh, last season, season before, he had – he was on arguably the best offensive line in the league. Not just the best offensive line, but arguably the best two-way line because while David Pasternak is not in the league in the same
1: – is not at
0: the same defensive ability as Marshander Bergeron – He's at least league average.
1: It does rub off, too. When you're uh, playing with guys of that caliber, the expectation is that you're going to put forth the effort.
0: Absolutely. Um he's he's played with basically along with Jake Debrusk's own effort, he and Marchand have hauled uh Debrusk's career out of the uh out of the trash this year. Because after two solid after two bad seasons, and there's no other way to describe them. Uh, DeBrusque looks like an all-star or looks like a top six forward again.
1: I think that uh, to me, I think the skill has always been there. I think the skill is there. I'm not going to say that he's a McDavid. No, nope. I'm just saying that the offensive skill, the skill ability has always been there. It's between the years.
0: I, I, and I firmly believe that a lot of it was worry for family involved in the COVID, uh, situation. Um,
1: and I'm sure that that played some I part think of it that there as well because his family is over the border in Edmonton. That's where his dad, that's where his dad and mom live and grandmother, grandmother. Um, yeah.
0: And I will also say that I think that there were some coaching issues, um, that were definitely coaching issues and not coaching player issues
1: and all that's to say he still he
0: still never rescinded
1: the I want to be traded
0: and that's that's what leads me to believe it's as much off the ice as on the ice because he's clearly having fun and he's clearly um and the the other players on the team are clearly enjoying playing with him
1: I don't think it's a, yeah, I don't think it's a teammates thing. I I don't think it's what's going on in the locker room. I I don't get that impression.
0: No, I mean, other players who have gotten bounced out of town after playing in the top six, there have been severe off-ice issues and inability to conform to behavioral standards for the team, shall we say? Uh, that's not been the case here. He just had two bad seasons, shortened seasons, lots of interesting protocols, and he's bounced back remarkably. I mean, I I still think that he has thirty goal seasons left in his tank. I mean, he's not even he's not even hockey middle aged, much less hockey old at this point. Um, he's. He came out, he's 25 years old. He'll be 26 just after the season starts this fall. Um, 70 games, 22 goals, which is his second highest career total. Um, assists could use a little bit of work, but you know what? He wasn't playing with the best players uh, on the roster in the first half of the season. Uh, I really want to see where his career goes. Yeah. Regardless of where he ends up uh, playing three years from now or even six months from now. Two quick, um, tib- two
1: quick tidbits. I want to wrap
0: this up. Yep. Ch-
1: Shana Goldman and and it, it wrote this. She got contributions from a number of writers, Saad Yusuf, Michael Russo, Russo Fluto Shinzawa, Haley Salvi, and Jeremy Rutherford and Dom LeCision. So plenty of writers from various areas across the country. She's a writer for The Athletic. She covers the Rangers and Devils, but here she is putting this out there about Bergeron. Just wanted to say that. And I think we've crossed generational lines here because one of the comments says, I love how he went super cyan form final final form this year. I think that's a Dragon Ball Z reference.
0: That is indeed a Dragon Ball Z reference, and it, regarding I think it's
1: safe, regarding Patrice Bergeron.
0: And I think it's safe to say that yes, his power levels are over nine thousand.
1: The only possible defense against being passed over for the next player up mentality. I wanted to throw that that comment jumped out at me. I wanted to throw it out. Normally, you don't read comments, but that one. We've crossed generational lines at this point. <laughs>
0: Um, yes, yes, we have. And time to jump to a different player who's also having a resurgence. Uh, we talked about Jake Debrusk uh, as part of the conversation with Bergeron. Mm-hmm. Kyloch Poso just scored his twentieth goal of the season. Normally,
1: this wouldn't be like a, a, a something to really get all that excited over.
0: Well, I mean, for him, uh, you have to look at you have to look at the context of the player. Kylog just turned 34.
1: Well, this is why we have this. reason to get excited. I'm just saying normally saying somebody scored 20 goals would be, you know, we don't pinpoint everybody that scores 20 goals on the show.
0: Absolutely not. So, but this so is a I'm, seventh round pick from the 2006 yeah. draft. And yes, I'm going to go way out there on a limb and say that if the 2006 draft were redone, he would not go in the seventh round. Just a hunch. I'm pretty sure he's not going seventh round, yeah. Um. But 20 goals in 71 games this season versus his last 87 games, he had a total of 11. The last time, and that's from the last two uh, COVID-shortened seasons, plus I believe an injury or two. Uh, now, in order for him to, in order to find the last time he... Wait a I think you got that backwards.
1: What? Kyle Posa went in the first round seventh overall.
0: Man, you're right. I did. Uh,
1: I, <laughs> I was going to say.
0: <laughs> I am like, braided today. A seventh,
1: he's a seventh rounder. Really? I mean, I was impressed. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, wow. wait a minute. He was drafted by the Islanders seventh overall after Derek Brassard. Oops, Columbus. Um <laughs> Don't get me wrong, Broussard is a nice little player, but I think Agpozo... I mean, you look at their numbers, they're fairly close, actually. Uh, They are, and they're
0: similar players. Um, But back to his actual scoring numbers, which I at least have in front of me and don't have to think about today. (laughs) It's one of those days. It's supposed to be a vacation day, or something like that. Uh, Agpozo's last 20-goal season... Mm-hmm. was the 15-16 season which happened to be his last year with the Islanders um uh, where he had 22 goals in 79 games for a playoff team that we can all that we can say in pretty much every way shape and form was better than any of the Sabres teams that he's played for now he's got oh. 96 ga- uh, 906 games uh, to his NHL uh, career uh, which is a very nice total I'm going to guess. Um,
1: I'm guessing he's going to stick around for a thousand. He's, he's only got a, little... a few
0: more games left this season. He is signed next year with a no trade, um, a 15 team, no trade list, uh, meaning there are 16 teams you can trade him to. And then uh, oh. and he's got a six million dollar cap hit next year.
1: He's he's on he's he just turned he literally just turned thirty four yesterday. Happy birthday, Kyle! Happy birthday, Mister Arco. So, um, so basically, yeah, he thirty four all next season. Um, if thirty five, get to one year deal somewhere because he'll be a thirty five plus. You know, he'll be in the thirty five plus structure.
0: But here's the thing: if he plays this well next season. No matter how well he plays, unless he scores like 204 goals himself, um, the Sabres are not making the playoffs next year. They're just not. Okay. More importantly, with the number of draft picks that they have this year and next year, they're going to want to make room for some of those young players. to get moved at the deadline. He's a big body. He plays physical. He's an alternate captain, so you can't expect a certain level of leadership uh, and responsibility off the ice. Um, they're gonna get they're gonna get more assets back for him. Uh, I'm not saying they're gonna be able to trade him for two first rounders and a and a roster player. Interesting but, little tidbit, though. Go ahead. He's never been traded never been traded nope I mean the Islanders liked him they just didn't want to pay him um after the end of after the
1: end of a season where he scored you know 22 goals and 64 points they didn't want to pay him 8 points in in 11 playoff games they didn't want to pay him (laughs) okay fair enough you don't want to pay him yeah, he's never been traded. So I don't know. Does Buffalo trade him at the deadline next year?
0: I mean, for maximum return, I think if they're going, if they're a going concern at some point mid-year and he's, you know, if he's at like 16 goals by the end of Jan, by like the middle of January, I think you trade him early. Get that, get that biggest return, integrate whoever you're adding or.
1: So what at the draft audition. this year? what so what at the draft this year
0: no, no no i i think next january is probably when you trade him the deadline
1: no usually teams the, overpay or before the deadline but before the deadline during like, the season it,
0: i would say at least three or four weeks before the deadline
1: okay but during the season does he yeah, have teams are willing to overpay to upgrade and whatnot yes i can see that
0: Um, And you have any time to audition any young players who are pushing at the roster from the AHL or who you might be signing out of college or overagers out of uh, the Canadian hockey league, um, who you want to throw into that final 15, 20 games of the season and let them, let them make a case for uh, being penciled into the opening night roster the next season. Because Kyle Ocposo has been a reason, has been a fairly consistent player. He doesn't take stupid penalties all that often. He's not he's he's physical. Um, and I think that if you have him on a team that's more defensively capable, um, his plus minus definitely improves. Like if you send him out to Minnesota, which happens to be where he's from. Uh, And you put him on a line out there heading into the playoffs. You're you're doing some fun stuff with that roster. Uh, If you can put him on a line with Marcus Foligno, does Garen make that move? For the right price, Garen is going to make any move. I think he's that I think he will that he believes will push the team forward. Uh, It really it really comes down to what is the team doing? at the middle of January next year. Because uh, they, too, have some interesting decisions to make. Um, they've got some players, some key players resigned. assigned. Um, I mean, Buffalo does
1: have a lot of youngsters. Obviously, they have the guys like Owen Power, who, by the way, signed his entry level back on the 8th after after Michigan washed out of the NCAA tournament. Well, washed out. They lost. So they do have a lot of youth. So I can see where you're going with that. Yeah. Do you want guys who are going to audition, take roster spots? Do you move along, especially if they aren't going to make the playoffs? Yeah, I get that. Uh, wow. Uh, I think that he could improve because he. It, I don't know what line he plays on in Buffalo. Now we were talking about this before the show and, and cage Thompson and maybe Jeff Skinner, but to put that kind of a line together, most likely if he goes to Minnesota, he's going to be a middle six forward. I don't see him playing top line or top line minutes, but it's, could you work him in with a Marcus? Well, yeah, I think that that would be an interesting get. I, I don't know. My question is, like I said, whether Billy Guerin actually makes that move or not. But it would certainly be an interesting get. It would solidify that team. It's not like Kyle Ocpozo isn't a physical player. He does hit. He does get into the corners. He does do the work. So it, it, Billy's going to like him from that standpoint. But I I. I I'm trying to think of where else he might. Um, I don't want to see him end up in a place like a Seattle that's still struggling to get to a play. He needs to go somewhere where his next stop is going to be a playoff destination.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, Another interesting place for him, particularly where the team is overall fairly young. The Rangers adding him to the rangers or even even maybe anaheim if they can put together a i worry about assistant enough run i worry about
1: anaheim and their i mean they started out the season really strong and then kind of faded off and i think they overused chris i think they overused john gibson a, a bit at the beginning of the season Absolutely, uh, which did not help the situation. I, I worry about Anaheim their, their I think that Anaheim their are the inconsistency,
0: is what kills me. Well, I, I like that all Anaheim. Th- Anaheim needs those consistent players. But Anaheim they, needs guys who have been there and done that, and aren't, and are still going to be around three years from now or two years from now. As much as I like Troy Terry and Trevor Zegers, um and Jamie Drysdale, yeah, they're still early in their careers, very still early in their good. careers. And
1: yeah, I think Troy Terry is the veteran of those three.
0: <laughs> <laughs> essentially, yeah. And then you look at guys him and, like him, and,
1: him and Sam Steele.
0: <laughs> you look at Zach Aston-Reese. He was a great. He was a really good college player. But dude can't stay healthy yeah that was like,
1: one of the one of the issues with him on, in Pittsburgh
0: um you look at um erho Vakenainen, who they picked up uh at the deadline also a dude who's had uh health challenges
1: um Adam when Hay- he's on the when the when he's on the ice a talented player I'm not I'm in no way besmirching erho bakchanen's abilities it's just the fact that you got to get him on the ice it's <laughs> it, it, you know, with Danton Heinen, it was a different story. With Danton Heinen it was put you know, get him on the ice, he was fabulous. He just couldn't put the puck in the net.
0: Until he got to Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah. Um Adam so Henry he's gotta and... stay on the ice.
1: But with Kyle Ocpozo, does he br- he he brings that consistency, he brings that stability, but is he gonna be on, in Anaheim, I don't, think I don't he's know. Enough
0: that. by himself.
1: Right. And that's why I'm saying Anaheim, I'm not sure of, but he's and not going to be able to go to like a Tampa Bay. He's not going to. I don't think he's going to fit in on a Tampa Bay.
0: I don't think he's fast enough to play with Tampa Bay is the issue there.
1: That's um, what I was trying to say, but in a nicer way.
0: And I well, I don't <laughs> think he's slow. Like he's not he's not. Well, Aaron Ward. Um, well, no,
1: nobody's Aaron Ward. Even David Krejci was faster than Aaron Ward. Come on now.
0: Um, You know, you look at maybe, who else? What other uh, playoff teams are interesting? Maybe Calgary. Like, they may well lose one or more of their top forwards this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not going to replace as much of the offense of a, of, say, Johnny Goudreau as... As they would hope for, but he's also just a different element. Um, And having him as a complement to Kachuk, that might be a lot of fun.
1: Interesting thought. I mean, he he'd certainly fit in better there. I don't, I don't view Calgary as a speed team. No, no. Uh, so I think that he would fit in better. I, I think he would be a better fit in a Calgary. Yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. Colorado. In, no. no. Tampa Bay. No. Dallas is another one. The trouble with that. Da- the trouble with going to Dallas, though, is. I think they need to get younger. They have young talent. Rope hints. Dennis Gurianov, Jason Robertson. They have young talent. But Sagan is is.
0: At the 30 mark now? He's 30. The four best-paid forwards on that team are Sagan at 30, Ben at 32, Pavelski at 37, 37. Radulov at 35. And then the next highest-paid guy is Radik Foxa, and he's 28. So so, you're not wrong that they're not a young team anymore.
1: So bringing in Kyle doesn't – he helps them, but he doesn't –
0: he helps him, doesn't, doesn't. he doesn't move the needle. But for yeah. a playoff run, yes, I can see him. Okay. I can see him. Fair enough. Uh, sure. I mean, you look at the scoring on that team this season, and man, have some guys fallen off. Pavelski is one point under a point per game.
1: Pavelski has just been, I don't know, 30. Somebody told him he's actually not 37 or something. I don't know they what told happened. He's but...
0: 27 again. Uh, Clearly someone told him he's 27
1: Um, (laughs) because Joe has been on fire this year.
0: Jason Robertson has played 67 games this year, has 36 goals and 70 points for a team that's on the bubble. And it's not like Jake Ottinger is
1: terrible in net either.
0: No, but like that team is on the bubble. They are—they're probably getting in unless they completely collapse in their last uh, seven games, because they're—they're they're at 91 points, tied with Nashville for in terms of points and points percentage. Um, Vegas is four points back with one more game played. Um, I. I said it a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that Vegas makes it in this year. Um, I do so have another prediction about that. that team, though. And, yes, it's going way out on a limb. Oh, OK. Way out on a limb.
1: I'm guessing this limb is about as wide as a Sequoia, but go ahead.
0: Uh, not quite as wide as a Sequoia. Maybe as wide as a Tesla. Okay. Yeah. uh, Jack Eichel, who has come back ridiculously uh, well, Mm -hmm. 100 point season, first of his career next year. (sighs) Bank on it. On that on that team,
1: depending on who they keep, who they lose in free agency and how they move forward. I can see that. i And my understanding is that a couple of their top talent are free agents
0: i mean he's his best career points uh per to date were back in the tw- nineteen twenty season sixty eight points thirty six or sixty eight games thirty six goals and seventy eight uh and seventy eight points this year after coming back from major neck surgery not having played in what was it fifteen months or so um 21 points in 28 games 12 goals Um, I given the quality of his play, given the quality of the other teams in the Western Conference um, I can't imagine him not getting to 100 points next year
1: I don't know I I I think he's fully capable of being a 100 point player
0: Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And that, that there is my uh, major prediction. Um, more on the bad news front, unfortunately, um, less, not necessarily, well, Russian machine never breaks, uh, is where I found the story or her first or the news. Um, Mike Bossy, NHL Hall of Famer, great, uh, one of the greatest goal scorers ever, passed away at the age of 65 after a battle with lung cancer. Um, Islanders fans absolutely loved him. Uh, Rangers fans um, probably spoke his name with a little different emphasis. Uh, Mm -hmm. But undeniably ridiculous 573 goals in 752 games that's a 0.76 goals per game average and is still the light highest in league history only player ever to record nine straight 50 goal seasons um and only Wayne Gretzky uh, his 60 uh, his six, 5 60 goal seasons are matched only by Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, Mike Bossy. Um, <clears throat> Mike Bossy
1: was uh, one of my uh, probably my favorite memory of him. And yes, he was. It was against. If I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Bossy. Can't think of who else it was on the Islanders at the time. Pretty sure it was Bossy. Yeah. So he's coming down the right wing. And this is against the Bruins. I'm I I don't remember playoff regular season, whatever it was. But he's coming down the right wing, barreling down the right wing, stick handling, stick handling, protecting the puck. Nobody can get the puck off of him barreling down the right wing. All of a sudden he unloads a blaster from the top of the faceoff dot. Uh, You know, the the outside circle, top of the dot blast. Pete Peters is in net for the Bruins, and I've seen goalies. You know, duck out of the way, or or when shots coming at the. As the puck is leaving his stick, so it's not like it was close, and you know maybe there's a chance of. It's just coming off his stick, and and Peters is already leaning out of the way. That's the the intimidation that this guy had coming down the wing. It wasn't just. It wasn't just the fact that you know, okay, he's nine times fifty goals. You know, this guy scared NHL goaltenders before he even shot the puck. <laughs> Peters was leaning out of the way. The puck went by his right arm and into the side of the net. It was like, it was like a foregone conclusion. <laughs> I was, I was just stunned. I was like, why is he leaning out of the way? You're the goaltender. You have to stop it. If you're getting out of the way, what is this guy capable of?
0: I mean, you'd see the same thing. Even uh, the only other player I recall seeing the same thing type of behavior from is the Chara, and Zdeno Chara was a well, much bigger man. I don't think it was the.
1: I don't know that it was the the speed of the shot. I don't. I don't know if it was just. I don't think he had a 108 mile an hour slap shot. I, I mean, Bossy was. Just a fabulous player. I mean, his his abilities were ridiculous. I mean, I've seen goalies lean out of the way because, yes, Chara can hit it 105-plus miles an hour without thinking about it. I'd get out of the way, too. I've seen people dive out of the way when Shea Weber goes to take a shot. I've seen defensemen. Oh, my goodness. You'd think that parting of the Red Sea, so to speak. I, but for a goaltender, wearing the most pads on the ice, and this guy is a winger, blast. I mean, how many wingers have won the hardest shot? Usually it's a defenseman. It's
0: almost have, always a defenseman. I, I, I don't even remember the last time any forward won it.
1: I mean, Ovechkin's hardest shot, was it mid-90s?
0: I think he cracked 100 this at this year's competition. Oh, But it was good. the first time I've seen him do so. I just— was, I, No, actually, I don't remember. I mean, just— that's the one really
1: solid, and it's been with me since I was a little kid. It, it, that's the one really solid memory I have was just him coming down the ice, and Peters was willing to give up the goal. This guy was just that good. So uh, my condolences, our condolences to the Vossi family.
0: Absolutely. Um, This year's winner – no, Alex Ovechkin was the – won it in 2018 with 101.3. Okay. Um, Before that – I'd say Bossy's
1: was probably somewhere around there if I had to guess. I mean, obviously, I was much younger. TV was not in HD, uh, but it was was a hard shot. I'm not going to say it was some sort of weak little piddly thing, but I didn't think it was like Chara speed or Shea Weber speed.
0: Wait a minute. Oh, God. We may have to add another. Uh, Okay. So, Frederick Modine has won the hardest shot competition. That was back in 2011.
1: Frederick Modine.
0: Sergei Fedorov won it, and he played both center and defense.
1: Sergei Fedorov. That's. Uh, I've never heard him. I've never heard him listed as a defenseman, but he was very good. He's a defensive forward.
0: Um, and that's basically it. Uh, for. So Alex Ovechkin, who back to back won it with John Carlson, probably the first two teammates to. To do it. Uh. Interesting. And yes, Zdeno Chara still has the highest at 108.8. So wait,
1: Mike Bossy is still the NHL all-time leader in goals per game? Yes.
0: And I don't, that like, that's legitimately a record <laughs> I don't ever see coming down. Someone might catch Gretzky in this era of better surgery, better recovery, better, uh, better nutrition for total points. I don't see it happening. I don't think there's a player. I would be shocked if there's a player in the league who can do it because Gretzky had a couple of 200 point seasons there.
1: Um, uh, by the way, Mike Bo- Mike Bossy is also in another small club. <clears throat> He's only one of five players to ever start a season with 50 goals and 50 games. Can you identify one of the other players on that five-name five, five name list? Cam Neely. There you go. Who's the others? Uh, I would guess that one of them would have to be a Gretzky.
0: Uh, I don't actually probably have save. The,
1: I don't have the list in front of me. I'm reading from a story in the... Oh, wait. This is our favorite, but not our author. This is from... The New York Post, but it's Ethan Sears, and he's just listing out many of the accomplishments and how apparently the goaltender came to Al Arbor, the head coach, and asked if Mike Bossy could play more defense.
0: (laughs) I mean, for someone to actually break Gretzky's point total of 2857, they're going to have to do some pretty amazing stuff because Gretzky had... Four two hundred point seasons. Uh, he had a hundred and eighty three point season, a hundred and sixty four point season, a hundred and sixty three point season, a hundred and forty nine point season, and almost all of the rest are over a hundred
1: will be another score quite like Mike Bossy. A.
0: Uh, I'm just agog at the at the at those two records still. So to Mike Bossy, uh, Mike Bossy's memory, uh, just yeah, all time great record that I think is harder to is going to be harder to break than Gretzky's point total or Gretzky's goal total. So here's your
1: list. Mm. Um, what I don't understand is. It doesn't seem to mention – yeah, Maurice Richard, 50 and 50 back in 1944-45. That one Boss, makes sense. Bossy, 50 and 50 in 80 and 80-81 season. Gretzky did it three times. <clears throat> Twice he had 61 in uh, 50. He, um, the first 50 was scored in 39. First 50 scored in 42. First 50 scored in 49. Uh, Mario Mario Lemieux – 54 in 50. And then
0: Brett Hull did it twice. Why is. It might not have been Cam Neely's for it might not have been the first 39 of the season, because I remember Neely had that 50 in 30. Oh,
1: I see. I okay, I understand why they listed it that way. Cam Neely was injured that season.
0: And he started
1: late. He started late. So his 50 did come in 44 games. But Which they were in Im- the first 44 but, games of the season. But it wasn't first 44 of the season. Yeah, he scored. It was the team's 66th game.
0: Which arguably makes it a little tougher because the goalies are already in midseason form when he started. But we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still imp-
1: – regardless of – if you're not impressed of being able to score 50 goals in 50 games or less, regardless of what time of the year it's done <laughs> – but yes, first 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 fifty goals of the season, first fifty games of the season. It's Hallamue, Gretzky, Bossy, and Richard. Uh, pretty sure those guys are all Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that one's that one's uh, that one's even safer than my prediction by a long <laughs> shot. So, Peter net or Hassett, uh, a Russian machine never breaks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, has an interesting write up on Connor McMichael. It's titled, Why Are the Caps So Afraid of Connor McMichael? Uh, the 21 year old ha- just experienced his seventh scratch of the season on uh, Thursday, I believe it was. And he is the youngest full time player on a, he calls it mature, I'll just go ahead and call it old, um, Caps roster. They are they are more they are older, yes. <laughs> they are hockey old. Yes. Like Ovechkin certainly well, doesn't show it, but this team is still not no. young.
1: Well, when Gretzky takes his helmet off, his hair is getting grayer, and his beard has got a little bit of salt and pepper in it. So oh, I yeah. mean play. play-wise. Play-wise, no, he's it, it's kind of like Pavelski's resurgence this year is what happens to Ovechkin every year. So
0: <laughs> I mean, their defense average age is 30.1. Mm-hmm. Their forwards average age is twenty nine point seven.
1: McMichael and is twenty one years old,
0: twenty one years old. He's effectively 10 years below the average age of the team. Ovechkin's 36, Backstrom's 34, Oshie's 35. Um, On the back end, Irwin is 34, uh, Kempney is 31, Jensen is 31, Schultz is 31, Orlov is 30, and Carlson is 32. Their goaltenders are the next youngest, really the youngest group on the ice. They're both 25 and 26. Um... Is it, I mean, on the one hand.
1: Are they just worried that he's too young? Can he not enter the bar?
0: No, I think. Why are they afraid of this I wonder if they're worried about off ice chemistry, which isn't going to be helped by sitting him all the time. And two, I think the real question, because yes, this is the first year of his uh, entry level. Okay are they worried about him showing up the slipping speed of some of the other players? Because while Ovechkin certainly hasn't, isn't showing his age, I can't look at TJ Oshie and say, yeah, he's absolutely as fast as he was six years ago because he's not. And he was never the fastest guy in the league. Anyways, he was always he was always good at getting to the right spot but he was never in the top 20% of the league in speed.
1: Um and La Violette just doesn't answer the question. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean his his statement, his quote here is an effort in not answering and not answering the answering I mean, but not answering the question. Quote, some ups, there are some good things, some ups, some downs, some nights where you're the star of the game. There's some nights where you're a scratch. It's not an answer. And then it goes on. He's kept his head on straight the entire time, worked hard through the course of the year, done the right things, quietly gone about his business in a positive way.
0: Um, To go into the article, in the statistics not affected by goaltending and shooting – the Capitals are a dominant team when McMichael is playing for them. At 57.4% in expected goals, a or sorry, a 57.4% in expected goals is roughly where Calgary Flames are the Calgary Flames are this season. In those same statistics when Michael is on the bench, the Capitals drop below 50%, which means their opponents have the puck more and are doing more with it. Uh, and then when we get to actual goals, where shooting luck and goaltending come into play, everything switches. Now the Capitals are below even with McMichael on the ice, and dominant when he's on the bench. Um, what what do you call a player in their first NHL campaign?
1: A rookie, inexperienced.
0: Yes, those two things. Guess what tends to improve with those with that stuff. Wait, With
1: experience, it, 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 statistics, goal scoring, execution, execution—that's a good word, yeah.
0: Execution.
1: Like, so what? So what you're trying to tell me is that there's no replacing in-game
0: experience. There's no replacing in-game experience. That's a better <laughs> summation that I was going to use. Um, so here's my here's my question for teams who are whe- wheeling and dealing at the draft this year. Are you ready to go fishing in troubled waters? The draft after the deadline is the time of year when the most trades are made. Mm-hmm. This kid is still on his entry-level contract. Two more years of it, in fact. You've gotten a good sample of him. Do you? Are you ready to toss that- him on your roster next year? What do you want to do the capital's deal him? If their coach isn't playing them, and they're only playing, and they're playing him under eleven minutes a night, scratching him seven times, it, it it sounds like there's an issue with the coaching. But it says right here at the
1: end of the article: to avoid their fourth consecutive first round elimination, the Washington Capitals need to find marginal improvements everywhere they can. Here's an easy one: they
0: should play Connor McMichael. Yes. But our a- writer friend is not the head coach of the Washington Capitals. I understand that. More importantly, when the Capitals are eliminated in the first round, <laughs> with McMichael's on the uh, in the press box or on the ice, because the team is <clears throat> hockey old, and it's probably earth-shattering kablooey time. coach, at least four five roster players. I mean, obviously, Ovechkin and Backstrom are not getting traded. But this is Oshie's second team. Scratching McMichael
1: is a critical failure at the head coach position. It's as bad as scratching Schmidt in the 2017 playoffs with 37 year old Brooks Orpik and an ineffective and Kirk or Alsner. I don't know enough about McMichael to make that call. Yes, it was a bad move scratching Schmidt, I firmly believe. I mean, 2017, wasn't that the
0: year that they beat Vegas in the final anyway? It was. That doesn't mean they couldn't have played better. They got it done. I still do ag- I still do
1: agree that scratching Schmidt was a mistake, yes. I, I I firmly believe that. I don't know enough about McMichael. Based on the rough stats that they've laid out here,
0: I tend to agree with this comment. Well, here's the other thing. If you go back to his draft year, yeah. everybody has him rated in the first round. Normally when we look at more than four or five uh, of the major – uh, draft boards for players, the draft uh, scouting services. There's maybe 10 players, who, 10, 12 players who are everyone has in the first round, and there's usually a couple of outliers who will put them, you know, 34th or even like 50th, 60th. Everybody had him in the first round. Everybody had McMichael in the first round. Um, you look at his stats for the year. He's got 18 penalty minutes or he's got, I'm sorry, 10 penalty minutes in 66 games as a rookie 10. He's not taking stupid penalties. He's not costing the team. Uh, five he was months drafted five in the first round. Drafted in the first round at late in the first round, but that's where they were picking. Yeah. Um, I, I don't understand what – I don't understand the – why they're not playing him. I really don't. I think it's either a coaching failure or – That doesn't strike me as
1: Peter Laviolette's M.O., though.
0: People change over the course of their careers.
1: Or I mean, this is a guy who's brought three teams to the Stanley Cup final. Three different yes. organizations to a Stanley Cup final. Yes, um, I think he. I think he knows what he's doing behind the bench. I. I tend to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but there's something about this that just doesn't sit
0: right. Doesn't feel right. But here's the other. Here's the other. Th- other possibility. What if it's the locker room?
1: Well, then Billy Garen's going to go fishing.
0: I mean. <laughs> I mean, Let's if there was a wild card GM, I'm going to give it to Billy Garrett every time. Okay. Let's be honest. Tom <laughs> Wilson is kind of a chucklehead.
1: Kind of. You're being kind nice of. today. Wow.
0: Kind of. It's the. Yared it Hathaway. Kind of a chucklehead.
1: Again. Wow. Okay. Um. After they hit on after they hit on on Marshawn. Kind of. Wow.
0: Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Eh. I, I don't know I don't, know that, I don't know that
1: he's I don't know that he's a chucklehead. I just think that he's has uh, been over been overrated. Underskilled, yeah.
0: Matt Irwin?
1: No. No. I, I've seen enough of him just in no. a Bruins uniform, just no. Literally do not <laughs> I, understand. I don't understand how he's still playing in the NHL, to be honest
0: with you. <laughs> I... Just no. Yes, he's only played seventeen games. But you know what? No. No.
1: <laughs> next.
0: <laughs> uh I, I I I mean, which GMs are going to grab this guy and say I just do him an answer. on the trade call. You spend this summer getting in the best shape of your life. We're expecting to play you sixteen minutes next year, every single night. See it camp. I just gave you the answer uh, Garen is a good one like Garen uh, Billy
1: Garen strikes dead. me Billy Garen strikes me as the type of guy that uh, will take chances Sweeneyus,
0: not so much I don't even want to discuss the Sweeneyus.
1: I'm trying to think of other uh, Kelly McCrimmon in Vegas maybe I mean,
0: uh, you know, another guy who might just be the who might just be willing to do something, particularly if he can make it a hockey trade
1: Kent because Hughes he's still doing his position. Can't use in Montreal.
0: Can't use in Montreal would be fascinating to see. <laughs> but I'm actually thinking of West Coast more uh, in case in case Washington sees more. It still sees more than they're willing to play him in McMichael. Brindamore? No, I mean,
1: yeah, no. no. Um, Ron Patrick Francis. Alvin,
0: Patrick Alvin out in Vancouver. We know that team needs an infusion of not that team.
1: They need an infusion of yes.
0: <laughs> they need an infusion of anything but what's here. <laughs> and adding that ability to generate more shots and use. Their offensive ability, which is their biggest ability on that team, um, it, it would be an enormous. There's just a, there's just so
1: much with with that Vancouver team that the, the talent that they have and their inability to put it together. I don't know if they gave Travis Green enough time. Maybe Benning wasn't the right guy as GM. I don't know. But I think that they need stability somewhere. And, and, and I don't want to get off on a Vancouver rant, but the, the, the talent on that team does not equate to where they keep finishing.
0: No, oh, it does not. Um, And I think that's – I think we've covered just about everything at this point. Um, real quick hitters. Moritz um, Seider has the most power play points for a Red Wings rookie. Is that um, is, is that stat for a Red Wings rookie or for? It a is a Red rookie? Wings rookie.
1: Rookie. I looked it up a few minutes ago. Okay, I was going to say it, it was unique. It was interesting that they were comparing him to Lidstrom, and I was thinking. Yes. That,
0: I mean, some of that is marketing to the team. Um, oh hell this yeah! Is from the Winged Wheel podcast. Um,
1: and and, Iserman was. I don't want to say that he had as big a grin as 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 Pete had uh, when he got Dougie Hamilton, but Iserman was very happy with himself when he drafted Moritz Cider. So. Yeah, I think it's marketing for Red Wings. They, they, they got to do what they can to, to play up that team. And hopefully the youth will. I mean, a lot of it looks real. Lucas Raymond is for real, I think.
0: So, uh, yes. Um, next, uh, there's a couple of other things, but uh, in the Canes uh, Rangers poll that we put up over the week, um, Rangers fans came out and said that, yes, the Rangers can catch uh, the Canes for first in the Metro. Uh, really? Right now they are tied. Um, the Red Wing, I mean, the Canes do have the tiebreaker in regulation wins or and row. Um, so they are still in first place. Each team has four games left. I'm sorry, six games left. Uh, gonna be interesting because the Rangers are on a two-game win streak. Carolina's on a two-game losing streak. Uh, Rangers seven two and one in their last ten. Carolina at four five and one. My oh my! Anything else, Chris?
1: Interesting race to get home. Yeah. No, I think we've pretty much covered everything. We've hit all the all the topics. We covered uh, the Patrice Bergeron award, so I think we're good. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, the, the Selkie award. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm getting i'm i'm putting the cart ahead of the horse here, but I think at some point they're going to have to. <laughs> and my diatribe ends. <laughs>
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we leave you. Uh, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, random people you meet on the street. Have it tattooed on a part of your body, uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll use that new picture as as our official logo. Have a great day.